everyone, welcome back to this week's episode of Sabbath School from Home. Uh, my name's Cameron, so glad you could join us. And I'm Lachlan, and uh, it's great to be here, but for this episode, it's just the two of us. Yeah. Um, look, we're going to jump into a verse that's uh, quoted by the lesson, and uh, we, we might read some of the preceding verses as well. And then uh, I will p- pose to you some comments uh, and... Um, We'll see where they go because I've had some thoughts this week and I've been chatting with Melissa, uh, my wife, and uh, she had uh, some thoughts too. And we'll see how it goes. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5. Would you like to kick us off at verse 3? In fact, read verses 3 through to 8. Okay. Take care of any widow who has no one else to care for her. But if she has children or grandchildren, their first responsibility is to show godliness at home and repay their parents by taking care of them. This is something that pleases God. Now, a true widow, a woman who is truly alone in this world, has placed her hope in God. She prays night and day, asking God for his help. But the widow who lives only for pleasure is spiritually dead even while she lives. Give these instructions to the church so that no one will be open to criticism. But those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. Okay. Um, The passage goes on a lot. Uh, Of particular interest to me is verse 23, which I've never read, which instructs Timothy to stop drinking only water, uh, but to add a little wine uh, because of his stomach complaints and frequent illnesses. Uh, And I think we could get into that. It's a separate topic, but I'll leave it for our readers to to look into. Uh, Look, the trouble is, it took me a while to sort of put my finger on it, but I've, I've not been satisfied in the discussions we've had, uh, less satisfied perhaps in the discussions you know, outlined in the lesson, um, because I do have questions around stewardship. And I haven't been able to put my finger on it. And we're now up to week eight. But this week in talking to Mel, I was able to put my feet, uh, finger on it. Um, we have at various times used stewardship to mean financial prudence and careful planning, which is what this mm-hmm. week's lesson is about, is about careful planning. At other times, we have used the word stewardship to mean generosity. Now, um, the attitude that prompted the widow to give her last coin to the temple was not one of financial prudence. Yeah, that's been nagging in the back of my mind, actually, yeah. um, for these last couple of weeks. Yeah, and, and we've just had a lesson two weeks ago on storing up treasure in heaven. And now we have a lesson this week on being careful with the resources we have here on earth now that doesn't mean treasuring them but it must certainly mean devoting to them some degree of care and thought and regular attention yeah well the lesson does um step through sort of broad phases of life right there's the there's the childhood years in which we we receive education then there's the working years or earning years and then the lesson identifies that it's normal for many people to reach a stage or to aspire towards a stage of retirement where essentially you are able to sustain the expenses of living without needing to work. And in large part, this is because of that of that kind of storing up for yourself treasure on earth. I'm deliberately putting it in a provocative phrase there, but that's that's exactly what life savings uh, in Australia, superannuation, um, you know, sort of responsible 
long-term financial planning is all about. Well, look, I have had this week a revelation about the phrase storing up treasure in heaven. And it came from my wife, uh, Melissa. And um, when we use the phrase storing up treasure, it is always in the context of uh, recouping that value in some other form at some later stage. So we store up treasure in stocks or in shares or in bank account. Now, I think Mm. the analogy in the ancient world for that would be storing up grain. Okay. Treasure, in a very literal sense, has no utility at all. It is, it's just a thing that's valued. So the person who collects mm. treasure does not collect treasure so that he can cash it in at some later stage. You know, the, the avid collector of pearls who really loves pearls finds the pearl and just needs to have that pearl. Not, not because, you know, he sells everything to buy the pearl. It's not so that at a later stage when the price in pearls has gone up, he can sell the pearl and end up with three times as much land as he had before. He just likes pearls. Mm-hmm. So yeah. perhaps the translation, and this solved a lot of problems for me, perhaps the translation um, of the phrase that would carry the, a better meaning in, into our current sort of culture would be not to say to store up treasure in heaven, which has all sorts of mercenary connotations and that we're going to bank it away and then withdraw it at some later, later stage. Maybe it'll help us get into heaven. Maybe it won't. You know, there's that sort of um, whole connotations of business and dealings mm. and contracts and Maybe instead of saying storing up treasure in heaven, maybe the translation should say treasure heaven. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So it is not a fact. It, it, it is not, in fact, as, as you would treasure, as a collector of pearls, treasures a pearl, or as a collector of gold, treasures gold, artifacts that are beautifully crafted, or as a stamp collector, treasures stamps, um, or, you know, as a lover of music, treasures their record collection with their old vinyls and their, you know, hi-fi system and their, you know, sort of deep into the sound of it and they tweak it and adjust it and whatever else. Um, treasure heaven, treasure heavenly things. And in that connotation, it solves a lot of problems because it's not in fact a statement about getting value out of heaven at some later stage. It is a statement about placing value on heaven. Yeah, that's a, there's a... There's actually a big difference between those two things, isn't there? Yeah. So in that sense, if you go back, because we had a whole bunch of trouble, because we're like, when we were looking at Noah and Moses and all the rest of them, um, we're like, did these did these people store up treasure in heaven? What was the what was the treasure they were storing? Um, what was the heaven they're talking about? If you say, did Noah and Moses and Abraham treasure heavenly things? Mm. Then that that's an easy question. You say, oh, well, yes, they did. And point of fact, the story starts with that premise with the story of, of Noah, that he alone yes. was righteous. So um, so he, he then is a role model even before the flood. He would have been a role model even if the flood had never happened. He just treasured heavenly things. And he wasn't, he wasn't doing it to increase his wealth. And Abraham wasn't doing it to increase his wealth. His wealth happened to increase. But in some sense, that's a perpendicular axis. That's, there's, um, I was going to say the dot product zero, but that's not helpful to all our listeners. Um, yeah, the, the things are at right angles. They're separate questions. Mm. Um, and and Abraham got very wealthy. Moses got phenomenally wealthy and then phenomenally poor. Uh, right. But but they all treasured heavenly things. Well, this is interesting. So um, storing up treasure in heaven, and I, I'm now racking my brains to even recall 
I have a feeling that the lesson did did partly use language of investment, storing up treasure in the expectation of future benefit from that treasure. That mm. is in the, an investment proposition, right? Mm. Um, this this all reminds me of a a very 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 common, I think, misuse of the word investment. Um, people will say, oh, you know, if 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 they are if you go onto a digital photography forum you'll find people using the word investment in the following way they'll say ah um i'm i'm going to invest in an upgraded camera now the problem with that is that's if you are a professional photographer or meaning meaning that you generate income mm. with your camera then then that use of the word invest might even make sense financially right i'm going i'm i'm not getting very many clients at the moment because they're all saying, ah, oh, you know, your, your cameras are a bit old and I think there's better, better gear out there. So I'm going to spend money now buying a new camera in order to get more clients, more jobs, generate more income and keep my, my business afloat. So that's, that's an investment. But most of the time when this phrase is used, there is no income being generated at all. What the person really means is they're going to spend some money. They're not going to invest anything. They're just yeah. going to spend some money. They're going to buy themselves a camera because it makes them feel good. But here's the quirky thing. What you've just said makes it makes it seem as if maybe there is a legitimacy there. So what they're doing when they say that is they're, they're, they're identifying that for they treasure or value or prioritize or care about the fun and interest they have with a with a camera. Hmm. Now I'm picking cameras just because that happens to be one of the contexts in which I've seen this um, <laughs> this turn of phrase used the most frequently. But maybe maybe it's the same idea. Maybe you could say that you're you're investing in heaven or you're making an investment for heaven and not actually really be meaning it in terms of financial reward, but just be meaning it in terms of a value statement. Yeah. You're saying this is something that I really value. In fact, all I'm doing is spending. With the camera, it was money. Maybe even on heavenly things. Maybe it's just time and priorities. Maybe what and... I'm doing is I'm just spending time, um, and and that's be because it's a thing that I value or care about, or it's part of, or the community around it is one that I enjoy being part of, or whatever it is. Yeah. And so I wonder, yeah, I wonder if there may be some crossover of if, what you've just it, described. It's like, yeah, classic car enthusiasts. They, they, the amount you spend restoring a car is not reflected in the amount of money you get back from the car. Um, mm. And people for whom it is their thing, you know, um, I met one guy once who was telling me about a uh Rolls-Royce had done it and um, he'd taken it to a classic car show and someone asked him, um, how much is it? And he said, well, no, uh, you don't have enough money to buy it off me. And then the guy telling the story paused <laughs> for about 30 seconds and then he said, well, turns out he did. Um, so, um, <laughs> so, you know, for that collector, it was just a thing of value. Um, yeah. And I, I like the concept of spending on heaven. Yeah, uh, and I think that's the sense. When Jesus said, "Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also," I think there's a sense in which that rings true more for spending than it does for investing in the strictly financial sense. Yeah. If you say, if you if you say, "I'll buy in this company shares in this company, but not in this company because it's the most profitable," that's different to saying, "I'll buy in this company because I believe in it. I believe in the cause mm. it is championing." Yeah. 
Yeah. And um, I mean, okay, so this, this again, you're correct to identify a little bit of nuance here with this word treasure. But, you know, really, the way to, the, the way to get insight into what someone values, what their priorities are, it's to analyze their spending, not their saving. Yeah, 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 that's right. That's exactly it. So, um, yeah, and the point is that no one, no one who spends the money on something they really value believes they've gotten a bad deal out of it in the end. Mm. And there's a sense too in which this rings um, relates also to the podcast that we've referred to previously by that financial advisor, uh, the Christian guy who said, you know, money, you can only do three things with money. You can spend it now, you can spend it later, or you can give it away. You can't keep mm. money when you die. You, someone else will get it. Um, yeah. And the same is true for the minutes in the day. You've got to spend them on something. Yeah. Uh, they will be spent. Um, so spend them on heaven. Yeah. Um, now, I like that. I, in fact, I've, I've tucked it in the back of my mind for a sermon at some point because I think that um, you know you could start with the treasure, storing up treasure in heaven as, as a really mercenary type thing and then sort of gradually spring on the treasuring heaven as the resolution I, that worked a lot of made a lot of um, sense it does make it though um, it's not it's not um, directly opposed to this week's discussion but it is somewhat opposed to this concept of careful planning of financial resources here on earth mm-hmm. um, and you know Paul saying here to Timothy you know anyone who can earn what they need to support their family but doesn't um, is mm. worse than an unbeliever. Um, so, and Christ says a lot about how we use money here on earth. And uh, the lesson is right to talk about careful planning and, and prudent use of finances and and uh, because because the Bible talks about it. So, mm. so this treasuring heavenly things has to find an expression in some way in the various utilizations of our wealth here now there needs to be some degree of consistency between it i just find it hard so i'll give you some examples of choices that i have made which i i have genuine uncertainty over um i think i would make the same choice again um first choice in fact this choice more than anything else is going to limit the amount of financial resources i can give away to people in need uh my wife and i decided we would prefer our children to uh, grow up not blow up and prefer them to grow up um, on a on a house with a bit of space around it, so they can ride bikes and play outside and have all the health benefits that come from you know being able to do that. And we live in Tasmania. It's one reason we moved to Tasmania. Well, even even moving to Tasmania limited my earning capacity a fair bit. So um, okay, so we opted. We we are now on two acres and we have a garden and, and the kids do craft things and we have a shed and we build things and and it has been a success from the viewpoint that we wanted it to um okay uh we could have survived very comfortably in a house and land that was two-thirds of the price within Mm -hmm. walking distance from school uh it's actually a fairly large amount of money i've spent on that lifestyle which is a luxurious lifestyle on global standards um yep Against that, of course, though, so you say, well, this is reckless spending. And if there was a revolution and there was a mass uprising and I was hauled before a tribunal and was told there were people in your community who were homeless and you bought two acres for your kids to play on, that would there, there would be some weight to that accusation. 
Mm. Against that, you have passages like this where Paul's saying um, the people you can help most are the people closest to you. So if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should, uh, first of all, put their religion into practice by caring for their own family. So there, mm. there's, a, there's a principle here that says um, the bulk of your energy should be spent in the sphere where it can have the maximal effect, which is the people we live with every day. Like there's, there's some sense in which it's greedy to buy things for your own family and your own kids and neglect other people, but there's another sense in which, you know, uh, the sorts of people my kids are when they grow up is going to be very dependent on the home they grow up in, just, or at least partly dependent, and you want that to be a healthy place for them. And so you buy them push bikes mm. and you take them camping. Camping gear is expensive. Um, I bought a little sailing boat. Uh, that is an example of something which falls in the cracks between prudent financial resources. And mm. it's not strictly prudent. I mean, on sheer monetary terms, we would be better off uh, maybe maybe with by the time you factor in property price rises. I don't know. This becomes a highly technical question. Um, yeah. But in, certainly if we'd gone to a cheap house and paid it off quicker and then bought another house or what you know there would have been ways of ordering our finances that resulted in larger net worth by the time we died um and and a larger capacity to be generous um so it's not really prudence is it thinking of heavenly things um it's certainly trying to make life more pleasant here on earth hopefully to some good purpose healthy health see any money you spend on health generally Mm. um falls into the cracks in the same way a little bit um, so I am, I am in that sense conflicted. The second sense: uh, What about money you spend on on things that do just give satisfaction? So this is not cheap pleasure. This is not, you know, binge watching on Netflix um, or shooting up on drugs. This is uh, maybe planting a garden. Mm. Now, in today's world, it is not financially sensible, or I might say, for that matter, environmentally sensible, to farm your own food. Yeah, uh, it just isn't. Now um, that doesn't stop many people finding in their garden a spiritual experience, and I don't know of anyone who really looks down on anyone else for spending money on, you know, some ornamental trees, mm. or some landscaping, mm. or some, or some, you know, daffodils and tulips in yeah. the in the garden. Yeah. Uh, what about beauty? What about spending money on music lessons? Yeah. Now, that's an aesthetic experience. Where does that fall on the spectrum? Um, for I get the same enjoyment out of tools in a shed that most people get out of a garden. And there is some analogy between the two because gardens are have an aesthetic appeal, but they also have a functional appeal. The flowers look good on your kitchen mm. table, not just in the garden. The fruit, the veggies that you grow... Um, is put on the table. I've just finished doing a, a little job around the house, which I couldn't have done without the tools in my shed. But the tools in my the jobs I've done, if you add up some total of jobs that I've done, would not pay for the sh- tools in my shed. Mm. All right, but from a from a strictly financial perspective, um, you you know, the actual comparison is comparing them against paying someone else. So with the food, the comparison is obvious. You can go down to yeah. the grocery store and buy food that's been efficiently grown at scale. And then you can say, and lots of people in our society do say, ah, but the mass, the large scale mass production of food is actually not achieving the sort of health contents and the yeah. and, and the nutritional benefit that food um, can have. And, you know, 
growing it at home or in this pot or under these lights or, you know, with this fertilizer or with the lack of this, that fertilizer. Um, yeah, no, you're right. All Every one of those. Um, and herein is the problem with having only two people who are brothers hmm. uh, on this particular podcast trying to trying to host it and, and present a diversity of opinion. I, too, have made various choices to to live a little further away from work such that I can live on a little bit larger pocket of land with room to ride bikes and grow a garden. Um, have a dog. <laughs> the only thing that I haven't, the only thing I haven't done is bought a sailing boat cam, yeah. but I did buy a little aluminium tinny. Yeah. Well, um, so. yeah. <laughs> um, a dog, a dog, um, is not financially prudent. My dog isn't. Um, mm. it's not environmentally prudent. Uh, but there's something about connecting with the natural world, which and and animals, and there's something healthy about. You'd have you look at kids interacting with a dog, and you say, "Well, that's a good thing." Yeah. Um, All right. So this this is actually this is a really really good exploration to bring up at this point because remember, one or two episodes ago, um, we discussed. I think I may have even been the one that brought it up. The the Mother Teresa versus Bill Gates conundrum. Right. Mm. So if you want to be generous and make a difference to the poor in our society, you can be Mother Teresa and just not accumulate anything yes. of personal value yourself and give all of yourself in real time, all the time yeah. um, to the needy around you. And that is something which the vast majority of our society really does respect. Yeah. I mean, people, people don't have to be of Mother Teresa's particular religious tradition to respect her. There's a wide, there's a wide ranging respect for mm. someone that does that. And I'm using her here as a, just a, a, a representative of, a, you know, a vast number of people. And within our own communities, we could identify people of that type. Mm. And likewise, Bill Gates, not because he's a particularly, especially noble in this regard, but just because he's an example of someone who has, made considerable wealth and then is using that or large amounts of that considerable wealth to try and make a difference. And I, and I think particularly um, he is involved in um, some things relating to, to diseases like malaria, for example. Any, any step forward in, in eradicating or preventing or treating something like malaria would have to count very, very high on the ranks of making a tangible difference in the lives of the world's least fortunate people. Mm. So, so the problem is, Mother Teresa couldn't do that. She didn't have time for the education or time to make the money to really make a massive difference on something like, you know, influenza, malaria, yeah. HIV, AIDS, or whatever. But she very laudably did something a bit different um, and gave everything away in real time. Now, what you're identifying here is that there is, in fact, a middle ground. Well, it's a very complicated it's not, middle ground. We are not faced, yeah, we are not faced with the decision to be Mother Teresa or to be Bill Gates. Even Bill Gates, the huge amount of valuable philanthropy that he's doing um, is still a fair step away from giving everything he has away. Yeah. Um, and so what do we do? How do we evaluate in the context of prudent financial stewardship, of environmental stewardship? Mm. Of Look, environmental being... stewardship is, is that's, yeah. a, that's a can of worms. I'm preaching to the converted here, I know, because we have lots of conversations on this. Um, but uh, I bought an electric car at a time where it was not 
really financially prudent. It was mm. it was close. I found a good deal. I found it six seven years ago when Teslas were first on the market. I found a guy who was going to buy a Tesla and then decided he'd buy a Nissan Leaf first just to see if he liked electric cars. And he, he drove it for a couple of weeks and decided he did like it. And then he bought his Tesla. And he obviously wasn't in need of money because he sold me the Leaf at a good price. So at the price I got it, it was almost financially prudent. Um, mm. But it, it wasn't. Um, you know, the we have a mass production of solar panels now, which is a huge global industry. And it's now at the point where it's financially sensible to put them on your house. The people who made that possible were the people who bought solar panels before it was financially sensible. Yeah. So yeah. the the early adopters in any space, and it doesn't really it doesn't have to be an environmental cause that you are wanting. So if you're wanting, you know, I don't know what else it would be. The examples all I can think of are environmental. But um, the early adopters uh, suffer a financial penalty and a time penalty. So yeah, and the what you're buying with that penalty of finances and time is influence yes yeah you're hoping to influence right, because you're the world yeah, and at the moment you're voting with your consumer dollars you're voting you're saying to an industry or a market or a or um yeah you're voting and saying we want more of this yeah find ways to provide to to supply more things like this and bring the price down um yeah and i'm going through this now because my car's getting old and uh i am in a position where i can afford i think having crunched the numbers to sell my now quite old electric car and upgrade to a newer one um there's not many people that can and what we need for mass adoption of electric cars is a lot of cheap secondhand electric cars hmm. which basically means we need some people to to bear the burden of the rapid depreciation that happens in the first couple of years of car ownership we need a whole bunch of people to buy electric cars new and sell them after four years for two-thirds of the amount, and that's the way we'll actually get electric cars into the market. Yeah. And um, I happen to be someone who is interested at the level of a hobby in electric cars because I find them technically fascinating. Uh, the environment is also a cause that I feel quite strongly about. Um, I'm also in a a, uh, a position where I it is financially possible for me to do this. It is mm. unquestionably something that I will enjoy doing I don't think it falls into the category of storing up treasure in heaven. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It doesn't even fall into the category of um, me looking after my family. All right. Sometimes these things... So so the you're exploring grey areas that are... Um, I mean, this is extremely interesting to, to just ponder how all of this can hang together. There are, there are other situations where there is a much more stark kind of um, contrast here. So on, on the axis that you've just been talking about, things like environmental concern and social responsibility, one of the things that keeps coming up every now and again um, are superannuation funds. And the, you know, the whole point of superannuation is that your employer pays some money that goes into a fund that you don't have access to until you reach a certain age. And so what that means is it's essentially long-term investment and it's building up, it's, it's compounding in terms of investment return and over, you know, a 40-year working career um, or perhaps a little longer, then it's that's that's enough to retire on. But many of the default investments that make the most sense from a financial, responsible, prudent stewardship perspective um, might be things that 
don't satisfy our concerns about environmental and social sustainability. Mm. Um, you know, the, the, the superannuation fund that I am part of through the university had, an, had a, a huge big um, campaign against it a few years back because the part of, part of where it invests these investment monies is in um, fossil fuel energy. Mm. And a lot of the people in the super fund were saying, hey, we, we don't want to fund that. And then the super fund is effect. They weren't saying this quite so starkly, but they're effectively saying back, ah, but, but our responsibility is to be financially responsible with this money. Um, yeah, you want us to make money. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're giving yeah. us money so that we can make money. And this is the best way and, of doing it. And, you know, it hopefully, and I think it may be true that there is a way to satisfy both at once. But the point is that it may not be easy. And, and this is exactly the problem. There's this conundrum. There's this tension. Um, you know, I, th I don't think this goes very far towards answering your question. But I am intrigued, going right back to where we started this quarter. Um, the whole idea of tithe was one-tenth. Um, now, it, it doesn't stop us and people in the Bible, and I think even Jesus himself, um, upholding people to give more than that. I mean, we're called to be generous. I think if you, yeah. if you are really particularly stingy in, in pedantically calculating your one-tenth, then you might almost be missing the point. That's, that's something that I'm, I'm a little inclined towards. Um, but, you know, I mean, here's the example. The, the woman, the widow, that in Jesus' telling of the story... Is it a parable or does he actually see a widow, he sees a widow give a coin a in the coin, temple? Yeah. Now, presumably, presumably that's not a financially responsible act. It's not good financial planning. It's exposing an already vulnerable person to greater levels of vulnerability for them to be giving more than they really can afford to give to the temple. Hmm. And yet, Jesus, in that context, upholds her as having done something good mm. and this is exactly this is exactly the the conundrum mm. um, and it plays out in lots of ways if you start getting picky um i i would be happy to accept if someone said to me like no cameron you you deciding to spend the that resource on a electric car even if it will help a cause you believe in that is important um if that's being a bit selfish uh, it is your. You I might have mixed motives, and maybe I'm really just coveting a new car that I can drive around and enjoy using. Um, hmm. What about the health message? Isn't you know devoting all of your spare time into cooking extra healthy food so that you can feel a little bit better here on Earth and live a little bit longer? Uh, when you could be going out and using those time resources and financial resources to go out and do something. I mean, just go, just go and buy a KFC, look, it's, it's quick. And, yeah. <laughs> and fair enough. And, and cheap. And you've got so much more to give. Yeah, you could probably, well, this is not always true, but often you could buy two meals or at least one and a half yeah. of KFC and give some away to the hungry guy on the street. Yeah. Now, there are people I know who, um, for whom healthy eating is a hobby. And they spend a slightly irrational amount of time on it. Um, I cannot be critical. The, the amount of time I spend at airports looking at aeroplanes wistfully or, you know, researching mm. the latest CNC router or, um, you know, crunching numbers on different scenarios to see whether it's worth me putting a home battery on my house or, or um, you know, 
watching funny videos on YouTube or whatever. I mean, we all spend time. Yeah. And this is beside the point, but I know I referred to Leaf by Niggle in um, one of our recent episodes, but it's such a fascinating idea that Niggle is not ready for eternity until he can use time well. If you can't Mm. use five minutes well, what on earth are you going to do with eternity? Um, And that's actually quite a challenging thought for me. Um, Yeah. You think, all right, well, do I... It's a very deep thought. Do I actually use the time I've got well? Um, Okay. Um, Against this, though, you also have the case of um, what about the people in the newly emerged Israelite nation who've just crossed the Red Sea and and God's instructed them to build a tabernacle and the the craftsmen are named... These people were, were good at what they did. Well, that would have taken time. Mm. They would have spent a lot of time on those crafts that they could have spent doing good in the world. What about money spent on beautiful things? I said to Mel, um, if we're thinking of getting a new car, we should get a cheaper car and spend $5,000 on daffodils. Because why would you spend money on a car that's going to you know, be gone in a few years if we could cover the lawn in daffodils and they'd stay there forever? And, you know, so it was, It was. I don't think we will actually spend $5,000 on daffodils, um, but spending money on beautiful things. Yeah, yeah. I guess that can be done in a very selfish way, but it can be done in a generous way too if you're providing something for people that are... I mean, if you think of how many flowers mm. our, our grandmother gave away, both of them, yeah. um, in their time um, from their gardens... Um, then yeah. you know it's not just a selfish love of beauty; it's a sharing of beauty. But where does yeah. where does that fit between between you know? So we can be financially prudent on Earth, but we can also value money too much or spend too much time on it. Um, yeah. We can be um, we can uh, store up our treasure in heaven, but in the passage we read, Paul says, "Ah, no, your first priority: put your religion into practice first by caring for your the people in your family. If there's widows around." Their priority mm. in terms of their religious expression is for looking after the people near them. Don't be too heavenly minded that you're of no earthly use. Mm. Uh, I have not found, after eight weeks of discussion, any resolution to these questions. And it's partly be- partly because the lesson has just shifted gears from this meaning of stewardship to that meaning of stewardship without a formal acknowledgement that the way we are using the word stewardship this week is not the same way we were using it last week. Yeah, well, I, you haven't found a resolution in eight weeks, Cam. I'm looking at the clock and I'm seeing that we're probably probably not going to find a resolution in this episode either. No. <laughs> that's the conundrum. That's the, look, uh, perhaps moving towards a close, I, d- I don't think there is any way to have a proper resolution on this to close. So it's going to be a bit of an abrupt ending no matter how we do it. There are a few observations. The first is it seems to me one of the ideas um, behind financial planning, see, it must be a... It must be accepted that worlds are different. Um, you know, a world with, um, well, our, our, our world financially is so different from the ancient context in which even this, you know, First Timothy was written. Mm. Um, it seems to me that one of the ideas behind financial planning is to try and make sure that we can avoid being a burden um, on society because we live in a, in a country where there's a certain amount of societal support um, you could exploit that or you could not. And you could, hmm. you know, try and have work, save, build up financial independence, financial responsibility. Um, there's there's an, a sense in which doing that, you know, the, the whole when you're on an aeroplane, fit your own oxygen mask before helping others. 
you can't be much help to anyone else if you don't have your own oxygen mask on. Yeah. Is there a sense in which is there a sense in which if too many of us were to try and live the extreme end, uh, Mother Teresa end, where we just um, you know denied all personal wealth, possessions, um, finances, that we'd end we'd end up with this with the sort of society system not working so well. So there's this. Is there is there validity in the idea of fitting your own oxygen mask first in order to be able to be more helpful to others? And in, here, the oxygen mask, of course, is sort of the financial stability yeah. of of life. I think that that's a good analogy. Um, interestingly, like it doesn't take very long at all for you to be of no use in an aeroplane if the cabin depressurizes. Um, right. It is a matter of not urgency, but you know, you've got thirty seconds to fit your own mask. Um, yeah. And then you'll be of no use to anyone if, you, if it's not fitted by then. So I think that's a good metaphor. And I think that that's the legitimate sense in which the lesson is is pursuing this direction. Um, yeah. Maybe one of the problems that I have is that I am expecting there to be a broad a model of stewardship with different priorities that are have a prescribed um, proportionate value. Spend 20% mm. of your time thinking about this and 30% of your time with this priority and... 10% of your resources here and 6% of your resources there and sort of trying to pin it down into a pattern. Maybe there is, maybe there's not a pattern. And it may be, it's a new idea to me, but maybe the conundrum I found myself in is to some degree just escapism. Um, maybe the thing doesn't pull itself down into a system, break it into a neat system. Maybe, maybe there's a real legitimate sense in which when we have to make some of these decisions, we talk to people in our church we talk mm. to friends, we read the Bible, we pray, we um, ask God to make our own motives clear to us, uh, we think on it mm. for a bit, and then we make the decision, and um, and maybe there will never be a sense in which you say, ah, oh, yes, I'm, I'm certain that was the right decision, even in retrospect. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, I'm struck by the by the thought, closing back to where you started, it's only in that sort of process of choosing to think about this aspect of the various decisions we make in life that we are, in fact, ex exercising this idea of treasuring heaven. Mm. Um, if, if it was as simple as just a particular formula, you know, this, this sort of three or five sections in a pie chart, that much is for survival, that much is for, you know, pleasure, that much is for giving and so on. Um, then if it was as simple as that, it would actually remove some of the thought that's involved that makes it a thing, an expression of what we value. Yeah, yeah. We, I think we'll leave it there, Lot. Um, hopefully we have uh, prompted some interesting thoughts uh, in the minds of our listeners. And um, to you, our dear listener, you are welcome to email us at sabbathschoolfromhome at gmail.com. Uh, please tell your friends about this podcast, if so you wish. Uh, and uh, please tune in again next week. We're hoping that all four of us will be here.